I'm on top of the world, thanks, Silky. It's lovely to be able to be back out there roaming around amongst the community, enjoying the freedoms. You know, it's been fantastic. How about yourself? Ah, uh, same. I'm I'm really enjoying being able to do some retail therapy in actual person instead of online. So, you know, it's it's really nice to see Victoria see them getting back to normal. You know, today was my first day back into the city of Melbourne to actually enter a workplace instead of working from home. So it's really fantastic to see life get back to normal. Oh, my God. Were you scared? Were you nervous? Was it like, you know, people breathing on you? Were there, like, slide comments and, you know, cheeky remarks going around about the unvaccinated? No, actually, there wasn't. Uh, So it was actually fairly quiet still on, on public transport. Uh, not too many people around in the city yet either, so it was a good day. It kind mm, of felt good. normal. <laughs> first day back at school after school holidays. Ah, oh, nice. Well, that's always a good thing. It is. So today we have a, an interesting topic to talk about, and um, what I'd like to actually talk about is what is the value of a pre-employment medical, and what does it tell you about your potential candidate during the recruitment process. So there's a lot of statistical data around on that and obviously a lot of companies are doing them, but are they really worth the money that you spend on them? I think I think there's a time and place for each one of them, Silky. So I think that these things, type of field I work through with... Um, uh, instigating these as an exercise physiologist, we use them a lot to help companies work out the types of injuries, whether these injuries from people they're going to employ will affect them and their business uh, going forward or down the track. Is that what percentage or do we think that they will get injuries from certain specific people? So um, I think there is definitely a, a place for them, but there are various ones and they vary from in from company to company and individual to individual. So you've really got to find the right, you know, functional, functional, sorry, capacity assessment to find out, you know, which is best for your business in that sense. Yes. Look over, you know, my 20 plus year career, I have certainly seen a lot of them. Some are great some are pretty average and quite frankly not the paper they're you know written on mm. they're not worth that and as you are probably aware they are quite a costly part of the recruitment process yep. but they certainly do have their time and their place and uh, value within the recruitment process well like you know a lot of insurance companies and um, legal professions they rely heavily on the data that you know, we require from this, which is good for comfort for large companies to be able to make sure that they can get some sort of reimbursement, uh, reimbursement, I should say, or or reduction in their costs going forward too. So they want to try and really minimise that through these so these companies can know they're doing the right thing and it's not cost them a fortune. Yes, uh, and look, for for large companies, I think it's pretty much standard practice these days and even for medium-sized companies, that where every employee goes through a pre-employment medical regardless of the position you're hiring for. It's kind of standard part of the recruitment process along with, um, you know, the right to work check and 
a lot of companies require a police check, especially if you're working within, you know, the financial department or dealing with people's credit card data, that sort of thing. Um, we we I have worked for a lot of for a lot of companies where, you know, that the the police check is part of the standard process for every employee that they employ, regardless of position, um, even whether they had handle financial data or not. Um, yeah. It's really part and parcel of that those pre-employment checks that companies do these days, along with your right to work or, you know, do you have the correct visa? Are you an Australian citizen, mm. you know, permanent resident? Is there a restriction through a 457 visa? Are you being sponsored by a company? So there's a lot of things to consider as part of those pre-employment checks. But today I want to particularly talk about what is the value for money from a pre-employment medical so what does a medical tell us in your professional opinion from an exercise physiologist point of view in terms of a predictor for predisposition to injury well they give us understanding of the individual and their capability of function and that just means how many times if it's an eight-hour job and they're working on the floor of a um let's say of a of a supermarket and they've got to bend down from below the knees and they've got to lift things up from above the shoulder height and regarding on the weight and the number of times you've got to do that per minute. So these programs will will actually give you an insight into how well this person can bend, the type of technique they use, the type of load they can actually go through or maintain over a specific period. The problem with some of these tests is they aren't long enough or the, the function that they're getting the individual to do isn't long enough. So if they're working for eight hours, some of these tests may only go for an hour and some in some cases can only go for 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. you're not getting an, an accurate representation of pain associated with movement or just standing pain boredom <laughs> where they've got to stand and unload a box and stick it into the back of a shelf and they've got to do that say three times within 30 minutes and they've got to take out 12 small cans, stack them in. So they're getting a lot of small hand movements and they're standing still, then got to step over something, you know, so it's all these little minute things that you can't actually test in some of them. So that's where the, the smaller capacities of these tests can really let you down. But most of the time, and I would say, I reckon about 60% of the time that we do them, we're pretty well accurate within them. The unfortunate thing is the four, the other 40% is that people know how to live with pain. You can get some young guys in there that have been playing footy and have got a sore knee and they know how to go through that pain. So you can't, you can't pick that up. You know, there's just some things you can't find. So they won't show those sort of, those are the sort of things that you don't generally get to find. Look, one thing I find, you know, having looked at these for many, many years is people are surprisingly honest. Yeah. You know, the, so the, the, the majority of them are actually very, very honest in terms of pre-existing conditions, um, things that, you know, where they've had injuries before, whether it be shoulder, back, knee, you know, where they can pass a functional capacity test. But mm. if you read what they've actually declared in the pre-employment medical, you go, wow, they really have a predisposition to injury given that the type of job that they're going for. And obviously, you know, you make a different assessment for someone going for, say, an administrative role 
as opposed to someone who's doing a very, very physical role or someone who may be, you know, sitting behind a, a wheel driving an excavator or a forklift, you know. Yeah. You kind of tend to look for different things for different aspects of the job. So, you know, for someone with a forklift driver, the last thing you want is someone who has a neck or back, you know, illness or previous claim and even then you sort of look at you know a how old or how long ago was this claim or how how long ago was the injury uh did they have any time off because of the injury and how long was the recovery process so you know surprisingly they're very very telling and while they might pass a functional capacity test because as you say you know people can live with pain um you know if you really read the declarations that they make in terms of what they what's actually wrong with them you, know, you you can kind of pick up who you want to employ and who you don't who is not the greatest of candidates for example you know and that's not even taking physical body anomalies into account you know you've oh. got skinny tall you've got short you've got heavier people you know taking all of that aside about whether or not they can handle a job because if they've got to fit into a tight place you can't have someone who's heavy set you know yeah. but if they're sitting at a in a sedentary type role it really doesn't matter or if they're in a supervisory type role it, it has very little bearing on your decision making process mm. but so when you look at the when about, well, yeah well when you look at the fitness test or the evaluation if you we go back to your example of the forklift driver there's not very many that actually you've got to find a specific one if that's the role that the person's going for to get you know lateral flexion um you know, contralateral flexion, ipsilateral flexion of the neck and, and held at a static position while looking up. And they're hard drills to do unless they're out there driving because you can't, it's an extremely hard assessment or um, way to predict anyone with a, with a current injury in, in that sense. So that would be something that would get passed on one of these tests. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't really pick it up because you can't sit them in a room unless you're going to take them out there driving and in some cases you can design if companies are good enough and it is a high priority then you can design uh, you get a physiologist or a physio or an OT in and they can design a fitness evaluation for the people for that individual to see what sort of uh, you're going to put through the neck or the number of reps that is required to turn flex laterally flex and look up for long periods of time you'd be able to do that quite easy and I think if it's a big company that's well worth the money in that sense. It definitely would. So if you were having, you know, if you owned a transport and storage and distribution warehouse where, you know, everything's done via forklift, you would definitely yeah. consider that kind of Absolutely. assessment yeah. for your staff. And, and this is where as a safety professional, knowing the jobs and the tasks and not, not so much having a... Um, a job description, but actually physically knowing the limitations of the task, knowing that there mm. is rough terrain, that there is, uh, you know, the 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 racking, the way it's set up, is, is there small manoeuvrability. So if, if you actually know your workplace, 
and you know the tasks that they're going to be performing, you kind of go, well, I'm reading here that, you know, they have had a previous back injury. If if everything's right and it's smooth tarmac, it's probably mm. not too much of an issue. But if you've got, uh, you know, say your hard stand is actually crushed rock, and this tends to be potholes, that sort of stuff, you know that if they're turned on an awkward position, they go over a pothole, they're going to do some serious damage to their body. So, yeah. you know, you really got to know your workplace environment because even if you do a functional test like you just described, you cannot account for things like speed humps, potholes, you know, what happens if your hard stand is surrounded by crushed rock and they go off yeah. that hard stand. So, you know, you you got you kind of got to take that into account and your doctor, you know, or whoever's doing the physical assessment might not know that, you know, unless they're actually doing it in the workplace themselves. And that's going to be a very costly exercise. Yeah, um, yeah. And so how do you think then... when 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 being the you know the the queen of occupational health and safety <laughs> how do you um how do you like uh look for um injuries like give us some background on if you're in there and there's an EP holding one of these things and you're sitting there and looking at this individual how do you can you tell after your 20 years of experience can you see whether look... there's something different here there are telltale signs. So, you know, one of the things that you look at is, A, what prescription drugs they're on. You know, if they're on yeah. painkillers, you've got to ask yourself why. If they, you know, declare that they go see a chiropractor for what they term as maintenance, you've got to go, what kind of maintenance do they actually need to do? Yeah. Um, if they have a, a knee reconstruction in the past and, and, you know, getting on and off the forklift might be an issue down the track. Um, if you have someone who's had a previous back injury, you know, can they do manual handling on, on a repetitive type basis? And mm. even if the injury is quite some time ago, you know, what point of time is enough time? What's too little time? And what factor does age play with that? So, you know, you take a, say, a 25-year-old who might have hurt his back playing footy, uh, when he was a teenager, so that injury should be well and truly healed, as opposed to say this fifty-year-old who has a back injury because um, they went over a bump or, on a forklift and were on work cover th for three months. So you know that the likelihood of having an, another repeat injury of that type is going to be quite high. So you really have to look at each medical on its own merits about yeah. whether or not that's suitable for that role, that particular role. Because you can have someone who drives an excavator on completely flat ground just loading a, a truck where there's very little bumpy roads like, uh, say, take, take a nursery, for example, and, and all mm -hmm. they do is lo load the soil in, but their tarmac's relatively smooth. So, you know, that, that would kind of be okay because you know they're not going to do that for eight hours for the day. Yeah. As opposed to someone who, you know, works in a mine and they will drive this excavator or this big rig for, you know, regardless of how comfortable the seating and all the rest of it and the ergonomics are these days, you know if they're going to do this for a period of time, they're going to yeah. get very fatigued in their muscles. Yeah. And, you know, a pre-existing injury, unless you have really good core strength on, say, like your back, then 
you know, it's really not going to work out for you. And, you know, it, it doesn't even depend on whether their weight is perfect or underweight or skinny or tall or, or you know, it really doesn't matter. It's about whether or not you think their core can actually handle the vibrations, yeah. the, 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 but, the, the whole task itself. But you, you would out you, of a vehicle. Yeah, you would look at, um, you would look at, especially with that background that you in, as, as a 50-year-old, you would look at, how they are managing that too as a so if they're if they're doing their own maintenance like maintaining their health like losing weight or they talk about their their predisposition yes i've had it but i've lost weight i've now i now go to the gym i keep it strong these are the things i have to do surely that would be a um a positive within the pre-employment you know uh, criteria you would say well this guy's Regardless of whether he's got the injury, because it'd be pretty hard, I think, n- negating everyone in that sense. You, you because can't. we, you know, we're we're getting a lot of people. Once you know, once once you're a young man, you've played footy or sport or done anything, or a young woman, you're going to get some sort of injury by the time you're fifty. So it's it's now it comes down to their own evaluation of how they manage it. Because you can get someone that's specifically good at their rehab and keep that rehab going, and they know they've got to manage that all the way through their life. So, like, you, if you think of um, exercise as, as medicine for that particular injury they have, then they've got to take that medicine every day or three times a week. And then, then they'd be able to work with that under that, and then you'd be able to manage that. That would be definitely an option that you would look at, wouldn't it be, in these sorts of situations? Correct, and that's why I said you've got to take each medical on its own merit. So there, there's no hard and fast rule. And while you might get a rating from, you know, one being a great candidate through to five being unsuitable for the role, you know, you've still got two, three and four in between. Mm. You know, anything above a three, you'd definitely take, uh, or anything, you know, above a two, you would definitely take a real closer look at what the functional capacity is yeah. and what the requirements of the role are and then whether or not you believe that they can meet that or, or you know, whether your risk of injury, injuring that person mm. is high. And, and and let's not talk about this from a, a risk from the company perspective. You know, yes, it'll affect your work cover premium the more claims you have, but you also don't want to employ someone that you know you're going to hurt. So, you know, I used to um, consult into a company that did pre-employment medicals on their staff, but not on the labour hire. So the labour hire actually came in, but they got them all to, they got them to do the tasks so um, that they didn't want to do, you know, that they didn't want their staff to get hurt on. And it's not fair to the labour hire company or the the labour hire employee to be given all the the shitty jobs in in, in employment, you know, it, the manual handling, the heavy lifting, the awkward positioning, you know, the repetitive movements. It's not fair on them because, you know, it's not acceptable to break them any more than it is acceptable to break your own employees. Yeah. So, you know, why is it different for a labor hire company where you go, okay, it's short term labor. I might only use you for two or three weeks. So then it comes down to the relationship you have with your provider, if you like, yeah. you know, do they do pre-employment medicals. If they don't do any screening, then, you know, is that really the company that you want to associate yourself with? Because like I said, labor hire people tend to really get you know 
in some industries, I'm not saying in all of them, you know, but some industries are fairly ruthless with staff that they don't believe is permanent. So it's yeah. kind of like a revolving door for some of these guys and and it's really not fair because there's usually a reason why they are in labour hire and that's because, you know, they have they struggle to pass the pre-employment process because of previous injuries or so forth. And here we are, you know, putting potentially putting them into a situation where they're going to get re-hurt and re-hurt and re-hurt and for them it becomes a revolving door and it's not fair on them. So, you know, do you then have a great relationship with your labour hire provider where you know that they're they're one of the good guys and they do the pre-employment checks or, you know, do you take one that will, you know, advertise on Facebook and will take anyone that comes through the door? So, you know, it's kind of, you know, where you are willing to take your risk. And, uh, you know, I've certainly seen companies that do that. And yeah. that, you know, and then other companies treat them the same as they would their own employee. If they've got to go through a pre-employment check as an employee, you know, they have to go through one as a labour hire as well because, um, the idea will be that, you know, after a certain period of time, you will convert them over to your permanent staff. Yeah. Provided that they work out, you know, and it's really hard to turn around and go, well, I was willing to take the risk on you as a as a labour hire company, but now that you've gone through the pre-employment medical and I know all this stuff about you, it's kind of hard to then turn around and say, well, now you can't do the job, even though you've been doing it for three to six months. Before well, yeah, well, they get that converted across. Yeah, well, see, but that also brings back to a question you asked earlier, like what are the limitations to that sort of thing? And that having a having a poor relationship like that would really bring out some of these limitations as well in these functional tests. Because if they did do them to try and see their right to come in straight away, a participant's um, performance on that particular assessment is only an assessment of that person's you know, performance at that point in time. And it's not a really good guarantee of how that worker will be able to or will be willing to perform at the same level. So you might get a guy come in who's on one of those things and nail it and then just come in and just really perform badly after you've had it. So it's a really, it takes us back to what the question you ask again. There's a lot of things you got to look at when you when you have these um assessments done because you are really only assessing at that one time and you're also like assessing the you know the um workers performance on an everyday basis and it's too hard to do in one of those little tests correct so- and and then you 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 got to take into consideration say say we use this example of you know this labor hire guy right yeah and he's been working with you for three months you've accepted the risk of them being in your workplace you yeah know? Usually, if they if they do know that there is a potential of permanent employment, they will kind of suck up any pain that they may feel in performing that job. And don't forget, you know, physical fitness is something that comes along with the job and the job demands as you do them. So, yeah. you, you know, you can't go, someone fresh out of school is going to be fitter than someone who's been doing, you know, who's half broken. And yeah. You know, but they've been working in that kind of industry all their life. Yeah, well, like it's like it's difficult to determine what a what a um, worker is like willing to do versus what they can do. 
And Correct. so in, a, in, a, in an assessment, they're willing to do, I know they're, you know, the worker is willing to do it, but once they get out there on the floor, hang on, I might get that around, you know, what they're, hang on, say that again, difficulty to determine what the worker can do versus what they're willing to do. So in the assessment, they're willing to do it, but can they do it once they get out there on the floor? And this Correct. is probably another one of those limitations that you're looking at. You've got to think everyone's looking for money. Everyone's got a family to feed and a mouth to feed, so they're going to try and do whatever. So it's a balancing act in that sense to make sure the company itself is actually doing the but also by their shareholders, the people that are working there, their staff and everything else. So it's, yes, it's an interesting topic. You have to remember there's no such thing as an ideal person. You know, there's no such thing as a person who has no predisposition, who's never been injured, who's never, you know, um, even your, say, uh, someone who does key punching, you know, so just the data yeah. punching, you know, they'll yeah. suffer from repetitive strain injuries, you know, in their, in their wrists, in their elbows. So, you know, it's, it's kind of rare to go, well, I have the perfect candidate here because there's no such thing as the perfect person. It's only whether you're willing to accept the risk or not. Hmm. Because I've, ne- I've certainly, in, in, in over 20 years of looking at these things, I've never seen the perfect candidate. You can, you can, you can go with a gut feel and go, you know, this, is, this guy's coming in at two or three. Um, he's been doing the job for three months. You can't, you can't talk to their supervisors, their managers, and go, what do you really think? You know, realistically, the chance of them being able to do that job long term is, you know, here's your risk basis for that. And, you know, some of them surprise you, whereas others you go, told you. Yeah. You know? So you, you, can, you can definitely pick them uh, yeah. when, you, when you look at these often enough. And certainly um, one of the things that I would always recommend is look at uh, what prescription medication they're taking or what they're taking those for. Yeah. You know, if, if they're taking uh, regular painkillers you want to know why they they why they have a need for that yeah because people don't take painkillers for maintenance you know they they're usually no, a prescription true. drug and they will show up in a drug and alcohol test you know and there's usually a screening test that goes along with those yeah um, if they are you know taking a ton of ibuprofen you want to know why uh if they are taking you know diabetic medication or something like that it's it's really kind of irrelevant because you know it's up to them to manage their their medication as long as their medication is not affecting the task that they're supposed to do for example you know if you have a a a a medication that's a prescription medication but it tells you not to operate heavy machinery and you're going for driving you know a truck or an excavator that's kind of you know a telltale of you're no match for this job but you know for a normal person you go okay it it really doesn't limit you it doesn't take you know and it's about looking up what they're actually declaring in their in their drug and alcohol test as what they've taken over the last few weeks because they know everything shows up and you know if it's if it's a legal thing then 
they they will look for is it within prescription limits yep. you know if it's a prescribed drug or a prescribed painkiller if it's outside of prescription you know limits then there's an indicator that there is an addiction to painkillers for example you know and you don't want that either because they have um if they have a painkiller addiction, they're, they're kind of numb to that as well. So they're kind of numb to the pain because they take so much of it, you know, and the, the more it hurts, the more you take. So if they're, yeah. if they're really outside of their prescription limits, you know there's something wrong there too. So I always say look at your physical demands, look at, you know, their past history and look at, you know, if they're taking any any medication and what they're taking that medication for and you know google is really really great for that because you google any medication it kind of tells you what it's used for on the books and off the books mm. with well on that when you look at those things i think from an ep's perspective when we're doing these we want to look at the things that um that make uh, these assessments probably, you know, limit them, limit these assessments in a way. So we want to look at trying um, in put into these assessments the abilities that take into account, like skill, what's motivation, psychosocial factors, their, their physical environment. So instead of doing it in a room, you then want to look at doing it outside in the heat, in the temperature, with vibration, you know, trying to implement a lot of these things into the test as well. So I think when you look at your aspect of it and our aspect of it, you can design some really good ones that can be very beneficial, specific for those companies that can, you know, really focus on their needs than compared just to, to a generic uh, standard, you know, pre-assessment form where they, you know, where you're just doing the, the skill and not really getting into know can they do the job i think and i think you know i think with enough of these then companies can get some really good use out of them it is they can price. so uh, uh, as as a safety professional i i find them well and truly worthwhile um you got to remember the cost that a potential injury has on your work cover premium is a fraction of what a pre-employment medical would cost yeah. you as a prevention. Mm. So, you know, to, and like I said, everything is based on how, what the level of risk you're willing to take. So, you know, if, if you have a really great candidate who may not pull up as well as you can in the medical and you go, but they've got a really good, potential for succession within your business then you might accept a higher level of risk as opposed to someone who is run-of-the-mill kind of ordinary and will do the job to a great capacity if you like yeah but they will never excel so you know and you go well if i'm questioning the medical and they they haven't come across as the person that will excel in their role and, and the medical is sketchy then is that the kind of person i want to take a risk on because mm. like i said there there is the effect on your premium there's also a, a great big effect on the culture of your organization and sometimes they may not be a great cultural fit because they will not possibly be able to pull their weight with the with the rest of the team yep. so you know the cultural fit actually has something that 
you need, really need to look at as well. Are it's a hard thing to test, though, don't you think? It, it, it is very hard to test. And, yeah. you know, um, take a candidate who is, you know, long-term employee and in between jobs, say, you know, they, they rotate every say, three to four years, they will rotate through a company, right? Yeah. So, you know, it tends to be kind of a great employee because, you know, you're going to have them for a very long time, you're going to give them a skill set and they will be with you for a long time. Now then, as opposed to that, take someone who has a job history of changing every six to 12 months. Yep. I, are they really going to be worthwhile for your investment not for the cost of recruiting and all of that, but you see that there's a lot of costs outside of recruiting, right? There is, you know, the time that it takes to train these people. Are they going to be worthwhile for that time investment? That And, you know, do, do they actually have the drive to work to the safety standards that you're kind of expecting out of your, you know, so can they live up to the company values, so to speak, if, if you like, yep. you know, so there's a lot of things that go into this recruitment space other than the pre-employment medical. The pre-employment medical, as you said, is only a snapshot in time of, of that particular time. And don't forget, anything can happen. Someone can do an awkward turn and, you know, blow a couple of discs because, they've turned awkwardly not because they had a pre-existing condition and mm. you know or you know because they had they were overweight or underweight or not suitable for that role or you know so there's a lot of things that are outside of your control but with a pre-employment medical there's a lot of things that are within your control mm. the, the the things with comments that should continue and this is a, a going forward method that a lot of places i work in sometimes instigate is then you continue on having further education around if it's a well most of the areas I work in are manual handling areas so then they have continuations after educating staff to make sure none of those you know injuries do happen then so then once they've been employed and if they and if there is a bit of a flag and they do take a rest they do then just keep maintaining and managing you know the manual handling aspect how to handle how to pick up they even companies will even go to places of readjusting the workplace to make sure it does fit within, you know, OHS regulations a little bit more consistently. Correct. And, and then, you know, you've got, then you've got your cases that are a total anomaly. You know, I, I've had cases where, you know, someone's had a, suffered a serious back injury because they were sitting in their office chair and dropped the pen. So, but instead of getting up to pick up the pen, they leaned over twisted awkwardly and, you know, popped a couple of discs just by picking up a pen. So it's not just necessarily things under load or manual handling. A lot of the time people forget that everything that we do in life is manual handling. Every time we get up off a chair, it's manual handling, it's ergonomics. So, you know, there's a lot a lot to take into account in the OHS space about how to match a person up to the task. And, you know, a while back we did a podcast looking at manual handling and ergonomics and how to match a person to a task. 
and there's no such thing as the ideal candidate. You know, you you they're not all five foot ten, so the bench is at the same height. They don't all weigh eighty kilos. You know, so they're not all male within you know the age of twenty five to thirty five. So you know, there's no such thing as the ideal candidate, and it's about managing mm. the risks in the workplace when it comes to manual handling. But then there are just the events where you go, there's no precursor. I could not have predicted that i could not have risk assessed that out because it is just what it is you know a person can walk up a set of stairs and trip up up or down (laughs) as they're you know ascending or descending stairs you know and all of a sudden they go down four or five steps you know even on a say a three-step riser you know you go okay it's only three steps but you know they can totally miss the bottom step or the middle step and and, ha- and have quite an accident, you know, and that's something that you can't go, well, I could have predicted that in a pre-employment medical. No, <laughs> no. Clumsiness is not something that shows up, unfortunately. No, you know, so ne- neither is uh, thinking skills. So, you know, we don't run a <laughs> test for that unless you do a, uh, a test for a management position and, and you know, that's specialised psycho, psycho, psychometric testing. You know, that's a different subject altogether about, you know, at what point in time do you go, they're suitable for that and not suitable for this. Now, I have, you know, been to a lot of psychometry uh, seminars and that where they actually recommend that, you know, you should do one for all of your blue-collar as well as your white-collar workforce, you know, most companies yeah. because, again, they're cost-prohibitive, you know, some of these things you know, it can reach up to a, a couple of grand to do a psychometric testing depending on what level they're going to be within the organisation. You know, if they're going to be upper management, then you want to know that they're going to be capable of dealing with whatever comes across their desk on a daily basis as opposed to someone who is going to be working on a production line. You know, do you really need a psychometric test for that? Mm, true, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, see those sorts of things. You're getting a bit out of my leg. I work in the physical, so you know. Yeah. That's that. That is that is a good question, though. That is a really good question. And, you know, the the, the agencies who specialise in that they they do uh, solemnly believe that you know the the metrics are there to predict a physical injury risk as well. Yeah. So do you do both? Do you do a psychometric test and a physical assessment, or do you only go one or the other? So, I've, again, I've worked for companies that both, do both. You? Yeah, I would. Uh, you would. You would. You would go both because if it's because the cost associated, if you employ them and they get in there, the cost associated with with insurance, depending on the injury, back injury, whatever, because most back injuries do, you know, the average back injury is out for six months or it's an ongoing claim for six months. So if you're going to spend $1,000 and this is a person you're going to do or employ, then it's worth doing that to make sure that those things are um, as definitely covered, I think, because I can't, I, I far outweighs, um, it far the outweighs risk. the risk, absolutely, yeah. So, and, you know, it, like I said before, there is no such thing as the perfect candidate, you know. There's no mm. such thing as the perfect person that they work within, you know, the right headspace or the physical space. So there's just yeah. people are not perfect, you know. If you wanted a perfect re- workplace, you know, then go and spend your money on automation. 
Yes. And even then, you know, you better have a really good mechanic and, and a, a bottomless purse to keep those robots <laughs> ticking over. Ticking over. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Gosh. God, such a such a huge topic, isn't it? So it's so many areas to actually look at. And I think it's worthwhile exploring this a little further, maybe in our next session. I I, I think we we've sort of touched on a lot of areas in today's chat. Yeah. Where, you know, we can definitely go further on those, the psychometric testing, you know, where does uh, a, a mental health condition fit into the pre-employment medical space and, you know, fitting into the culture of your organisation to then, you know, how do you have the conversation to go, thanks very much for coming, but we actually think you're too high a risk for the organisation. You know, where are the boundaries, I guess? Sure. I reckon that's a great thing to look at. Yeah. So, you know, maybe on our next chat, we actually explore this a little further and go, okay, so I've now got this pre-employment medical that tells me, or, you know, I've got a gut feel that this person doesn't match my tasks. So where to from here? Yeah. Great topic. Yeah. So I think, I think maybe we'll explore that a little bit uh, on our next session. And, uh, you know, if anyone has a question in terms of the pre-employment medicals and what to look out for and, you know, why you look for those things, then, you know, drop us a line. Our email is email addresses within the bottom of the podcast. And we look forward to hearing from you. Mm, thank you very much. Queen of Health and Safety. Thank you very much, <laughs> King of Manual Handling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this. Look at this. Now we're just patting each other on the back. The oh, Mutual amazing. Admiration Society. But, you know, <laughs> that's it's it. Always, it's always great to chat. You really give me some physical, you know. And look, there have been times where I've gone, look, I'm a bit 50-50 on a candidate and I've sent you the pre-employment medical and go, what do you think? Mm, you know, mm. so there's times where I've done that before as well and go, you know, what are your thoughts? Can they or can't they? I, I'm sort of torn on paper. Yes, they should. Got a gut feel that maybe they're not. And, you know, you've given me your opinion and generally that kind of works out because sometimes you need, you know, someone else to run an eye over something. You know something's not quite right, but is it yeah. enough to go no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, where, where do you go and draw on some of those resources? Not everyone's got a Chris in their back pocket. True. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're very far and few between. But, uh, you know, how do you reach out to your networks if you have a question, you know, going, would you take the chance or do you just go blanketly, no, I don't want to take any kind of risk at all. And, you know, how do you then find employees? Because obviously your recruitment bill is going to get very, very expensive. Yeah, that would, 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 wouldn't it? Oh, well, that's something yeah. we can talk about next week as well. Yeah, or no worries. Next, or so, our next cast. That's a great idea. Look forward to talking to you again and exploring this subject a little further. Excellent. Thanks very much, Silky. I will chat to you very shortly. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.